Ecclesiastes 10. That's where we are. We're in a wisdom section. Also a warning section. Um, I think that's part of wisdom, right? That it warns you. It gives us discernment on, on some things. He's tried to figure out this world without God. He's tried to figure out this world without eternity in mind. And he isn't doing so well. Because he comes to the conclusion, the word that he used, that life is empty. Life is vain. You know, it's his more specific word. He says it's vain. It's empty. You know, life seems like it, it's meaningless, it's purposeless, and it's just a shell if we don't have eternity and if you don't have God. <clears throat> life is frustrating. Solomon talks about that. More so than a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of the prophets, he, he points out those frustrations, and I was sharing with somebody yesterday about that. I'm like, there's so many good things. One of, one of the uh, habits that I have is if I get to talk to someone about the Lord, and, and, and uh, especially if I'm trying to sow a witnessing seed or something, I ask them about the first thoughts they've had about God. Uh, Romans 1 is what I'm basing it on. That it, the Bible says that everyone knows that there is a God, that they have clearly seen and they understand that they're going to give an account before Him. So I always ask them, what, what, what's, what made them think about him? <clears throat> and it's always, everything I've heard has been something neat, you know, from creation. You know, um, a flower. You know, that's why I, that was the one that was really shocked me. It was a, a man, and he said, uh, I asked him, and he's like, uh, he goes, honestly, I'll tell you, the first thing that made me think about God was a flower. He goes, I was looking at it, and he goes, and I was a kid, and I was looking at it and just thinking how pretty it was, how nice it was, and I got to thinking, it's like, I can't eat it. it smells nice. It's pretty to look at. He goes, why would I have a flower if there wasn't someone who made it for me? You know, because it's not practical in any other way other than something pretty and something that you look at. And he's like, I wonder who put it there. I wonder who planted it. I thought it was God. But why would God do that for me? And he said, that started the whole line of thinking, you know, of, he, he made the flowers, he made me, did he make, and, you know, and it gets kind of deep and scary after that. And I was sharing this person, that I'm like, Solomon kind of takes a different tack that I haven't heard yet, but maybe it, I might. And he says, life is frustrating. And then those frustrations draw him to the point where there must be a God. There must be resolution. There must be an answer. There must be a place where things are made right, where things are set in the way they're supposed to. And, and he's kind of listed some of those frustrations. And he's given us warnings along the way. And so um, sometimes life is outright wrong in many areas. And, and I think that's our mind then longs for right. It's got to be right. And that's in Jesus Christ. This is all pointing towards him. The Bible, that's its point. And here we can see it a little more obvious in some of this of, of Solomon's writing. This pointing toward him. Oh, life is wrong. It must be made right. Jesus Christ is the one who makes it right. Salvation, eternity, where things will be right, will be rest, where first shall be last, last shall be first, where things will be put as they're supposed to. And so uh, we can see Solomon's mind starting to turn towards eternity. It really kind of struck me as we were saying our memory verse. You know, it's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. That's not been his tact, right? This is where he ends up. He says, here's what you must do. God and eternity matter. And so he, he's building towards that point. So... He's thinking towards eternity. He knows it's out there. And I think he knows that that's where he's going at this point in time, but he's writing this book for us. And he's kind of staying with his premise. And he's telling, talking still about living under the sun. Um, we've repented and trusted Christ as Savior. You have a future and eternity in heaven with, with, with the Lord forever. You still got to live on this earth. And so this is some practicality section for us about living here on the earth. It's practical. Some hints. For us, and some of these things um, hint close to home, and it's kind of helpful. 
and depressing, knowing that it's always been that way, and it's probably always going to be that way, uh, that, that things will be wrong until Jesus Christ comes and rules and reigns on the earth. And so he offers some Proverbs to us, that's, um, tips to live by, to help with your life. And, and before I look at it this morning, I want to do a little bit backwards. It's backwards day. Uh, Elaine says the kids kind of like it, and they do backwards day. So I'm going to start with some New Testament verses, and then we'll come back to it. So we'll, we'll do that. A lot of times I try to put them at the end. Oh, here's where they resolve. So turn with me to 1 John. Mark your spot in Ecclesiastes 10. We'll be back for those. 1 John chapter 4. We weren't there that long ago. First John's four, the first John four, and verse one. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. It tells us to test every spirit. We are to examine spiritual things. He's talking to believers, and I think that it applies to the world in general. If you're going to hear something from the spirit world, you better examine it. You better test it. You better make sure it's right, not leading you wrong, because there's false prophets out there. There's false teachers out there. Uh, he goes on, he talks about that. You know, not every spirit's from God. There's spirits that are out there that, that talk and point and pull people away. Um, you'll hear people have all these wild encounters. I think they had wild encounters. And they have a lying spirit talking to them. So we're to examine spiritual things. And we're to say, is that right? Just because it's supernatural, just because it's something fantastic, doesn't mean we just take it in and we swallow it hook, line, and sinker. No, we're, we're to examine it. Is that from God? Or is this from a false, false person? Is this a lying thing? Is this an evil spirit? Uh, see, we live in a, from a Christian viewpoint, we live in a supernatural world. There is a supernatural forces at work. There is a God who is out there who's a spiritual being. There are creatures that are under him that he's made. Um, angels that we know of some, you know, the fallen angels. And so there's good and forces. We know that that's out there and we need to be discerning. If we deny that, then we are gullible and available for attacks. And so we need to realize this. And so part of a Christian's background, part of a Christian warning here is to test everything. You're to test my words and see that it's right. That's why we have open Bible. That's why we have it up on the screen. You read and see and make sure I'm not twisting things. And if I just read a verse like this one and I'm not putting it in context, um, you're to kind of scour it around or to know the text enough to say that, okay, that's in context, that's fitting, to make sure that I'm not leading you wrong and then to warn me and correct me if I am. Uh, look at First Philippians. Let's back to the left a little bit. First Philippians, there's only one. Philippians, I don't know why I put a one in front of it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have two of those. Must have been making a point and wrote one next to it. I'm like, First Philippians. The lost book of First Philippians. No, Philippians, chapter one, put my one, scratch that off. Philippians one. <clears throat> in verse nine. Philippians 1.9 says, And this I pray, that your love may abound, yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Um, it's King's English, and so it's a little uh, clunkier for us, but uh, he tells us there in verse 10, or sorry, verse 9, at the end of it, that, that we're to abound, we're to have love, and the love's supposed to abound, and that we're to have knowledge and judgment. Uh, we're to have judgment. We're to, we're to judge things. A lot of people will hide behind a verse, mm, you're not, do not judge. Uh, we are to test. We are to judge things to see if they're right or wrong. Verse 10 says, 
approve, that you may approve things that are excellent. We are judging things, then we see them, and then we see whether that's excellent or not. If we see that that's something that is right, something that we should be involved in, that, that, that is true, if it is actual, you know, and we're supposed to be kind of weary as we take all, or weary or leery, as you take in all these things, like, is that right? Is that good? Is that, is that are they telling me the truth on that? You know, or is, is that wrong? It's like, <clears throat> uh, the whole global warming thing with the melting of the ice caps, you know, they're always like, all the icebergs will melt and then the world will be flooded. <clears throat> and yet you have a science experiment on your table when you have dinner every night, right? You fill up a cup, you put ice all in it, I always like it very full of the top, the ice is sticking out of the top, I look at the edge, sometimes the water's over the edge a little bit, not spilling over, you got a little capillary action going on there, keeping it all in, kind of neat. And then, you know, when all that ice melts in that cup, it just floods over the table, no, water level goes down, right? Because ice takes up a bigger volume than water. So when I hear all those things on the news, I'm like, I can prove you wrong at, my co- at the dinner table. It's like when all the ice melts, water levels are going to go down, you know, because it's taking up less volume. And then so it's just kind of like, I don't know that I should buy everything that you're selling. You know, so we're supposed to have, uh, use discernment. We're supposed to use judgment on all things. You know, and we might not have all the tools to judge everything that is out there, but we're to... Trust the Spirit a little bit. He's our guide. He's our instructor. And so it says here that we're supposed to know and, and examine these things so that we don't offend until Christ comes to make sure that we are living right and that we're in the right place. And so um, the, the word that we would put into this, and some of the newer translation have it, is that we are to have discernment. It's one of the gifts, I think, that the Holy Spirit gives us. Some, some get it a lot early on, but it's one of those gifts I think we're all to have. You know, some people have gifts that are theirs, and they might not be ours. You know, if I'm have the gift of speaking and preaching. You know, that, that, that might be one that I have that not everybody has in that way. But this is one that we are to have. You're supposed to have some discernment. We're supposed to test things and say, is that right? Is that true? Uh, should I be doing that? Is that a good thing to be in? We're to be cautious. We're not to just run in and say, well, I guess we'll figure it out later. He wants us to think in advance, to be, dis- be discerning. It's a gift of God that he gives us. <clears throat> I mean, what a wonderful gift to give us, to save us from trouble. We're to be sensitive to, our, to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells in us. We're to listen to him. And if he kind of gives you that, I don't feel right about this. Or if you're in a group of people and you're going into something and someone is saying, I don't feel right about this, should we not be listening or, or debate a little bit? Should we do this or not do this? That's what we do as a body of believers. You know, is this right? Is this wrong? You know, we, we, we kind of govern in that way. And so discernment is something that we need to put in the foremost of our thoughts of what's going on. Look at 1 Thessalonians. There are two of these. First Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> I like Thessalonians. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul was with Thessalonica for like a couple of weeks. He taught them on the foundations of Christianity. I like that one of the main things he taught them was about the end times because it was motivational. It was instructional to them. It was to help them. They had questions about it, so he writes them this book. And at the end here, he kind of throws in a lot of things like, hey, just some reminder about how to live as, as a Christian. And so uh, chapter 5, he gives us this, verse 21. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Prove. Test it. You know, we're, we're to test all things. We're to examine all things. We're to prove things, and then we're to stay with the good. We're to avoid the evil, he tells us that. We're not to be naive. We're not to be suckered into things. We're not to be driven about by every wind of doctrine, the Bible tells us. You know, tossed to and fro. Uh, we're to be anchored to the rock of what is true and what is right. And so we're to prove things. We're to be awake in life. We're not to be dull. We're not to be disinterested. We're not to be passive. 
We're to kind of be aggressive. We're, we're to be guarding our life. We're, we're, we're to be watching. We're to be discerning. We're to be proving before we let things in. It's a very active thing, Christianity. It's not passive. It's very active. We're to be active and on the watch and on the look. And do I take that in? And, and, and do we swallow all that? When Elaine and I watch TV and we even know that it's wrong, it's obvious that it's wrong, because the two of us are sitting there, we'll say, that ain't right. That's wrong. And it's just the two of us sitting there. It's a habit we got in when, the, when we had kids at home. Liar, liar, we used to say with them. We don't quite do that anymore. Sometimes we do Scoobies in there. You know, so we're like, liar, liar, don't believe in them. They're, they're telling you something wrong. Because it's hard <coughs> to watch anything without some lies being formed in there. And, uh, and that's very subtle sometimes, sometimes very overt. But we say it to each other in that way. We say it out loud. That's wrong. That's, no, that's not right. And No, you know, not to be that way. To keep our guard up. You know, to keep these things. To show that we're both still discerning and we're not just swallowing all this. We're not just taking it all in. Uh, and so even songs and everything else. And so we're to be alert and we're to be aware. We're to be cautious. We're to be cautious. Life is a precious thing, so be cautious. Verse 22 goes on and says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. We want to be cautious because we even want to stay away. Like, that might be acceptable, but it kind of looks evil or it kind of tends towards evil or I can see where that would lead to evil. And so I think I want to stay on the safer side. You know, instead of hugging the guardrail, we're going to try to turn it back to the middle of the road. You know, it's like the guardrail that God put on there is to keep us safe. And yet, you know, we tend to like, I want to play right over there looking on the edge, you know, tilting it on one wheel. Let's ride in the middle of the road, he's telling us here. Let's abstain from even the appearance of evil and get more back on track. So we're to be walking in life cautiously. We're to be examining all things, discerning all things, testing all things, proving all things. A cautious life. That's what Solomon is advising us to do today in Ecclesiastes 10. Let's go back there. <clears throat> to be cautious. To be alert. To be watching. Ecclesiastes 10. Verse 11. So we're ready. Ecclesiastes 10.11 says, Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and the babbler is no better. It's a short little one. It's not typically a, a tougher one, but it uh, grabs my attention. And, and as I was looking at it, I'm like, what is it that really kind of grabs my attention about this one? And it's being me. It's, it's the word enchantment really kind of gets me. I'm keeping my eye on the snake. You know, the snake's there. It's like my dad didn't raise no fool. I keep my eye on the snake. I keep uh, aware of them when I'm walking through the woods. I am watching for snakes. Uh, sometimes a little too much. It's kind of funny, you know, you ever step on a stick and it kind of flings up on the other side over there and you're kind of, ah, I thought it was a snake. You know, might get me. You know, so uh, we keep our eyes on snakes. But here, I think the, kind of the word is the more rare word in this verse is enchantment. Um, it kind of pulls me in. So when I read it, I think about snakes and enchantment. I'm snake charmer, right? And what you're thinking of? I'm picturing the guy squatting down with a funny-looking flute, you know, playing, and the, and the cobra's dancing around. That's what he's talking about. Um, I think he played a funny little flute or a pipe. Or, I know it's not a harmonica. You ever charm a snake with a harmonica? No, <laughs> but it's a, it's a, so the guy's playing this crazy song. He's making the snake dance, or he's like hypnotizing it, or I'm not sure what they're, it's not biting him, you know, and he's really close, and it's closer than I would be uh, with this, and um, I think he's just kind of showing that he's controlling the snake, you know, sometimes they'll reach out and grab it, and they'll do other stupid things, you know, but they do that, and so it's a cool skill you know, to have, you know, um, I, I think our family was raised with a sensitivity of snakes, because dad was raised in Kentucky, and they had rattlesnakes, and water-headed copper moccasins, and all kinds of dangerous things. And so, you know, it's like, uh, 
uh, he used to say, good snake is a dead snake. And so you know, I think he, there's, one summer he gave us a dollar for every dead snake we'd kill. So we, I didn't go snake hunting, but if we found one, it didn't get away. You know? And so uh, we would kill it. But you know, if you lived in Australia, um, uh, when the kids were home, we liked watching all these shows, you know, the top ten deadliest snakes or whatever. I think all of them are in Australia. And you're like, man, that would be a horrible place to go with all these nasty snakes. You know, Africa has a bunch of them. That would be pretty cool. But it seems like the guys who are the charmers are all in India. You know, I don't think about the Kentuckian snake charmer unless some Pentecostal doing something. But, you know, but they're, it's uh, this, this Indian and it's the cobra, you know, with the fan that comes out. And it's pretty impressive in that way. They've got a the bunch of poisonous snakes, too. But, you know, if I lived in a snake-populated area where it was really, really bad that way, it'd be a nice handy skill to be like, snakes come and pull out your flute, you know, and all of a sudden it stops and you're like, let's all safely go around, you know, and you can get around it, and that'd be pretty cool. Maybe you have to carry a flute permit, you know, to keep your I'm, you know, open carry, you know, get your flute that away, I, I don't know, but you charm them away. It'd be a cool skill to have, you know, survival skill. If I was going to be a survivalist, maybe you want to learn how to play the flute, I, I don't know, but... Uh, you could be the best charmer in the world. You could have all the titles. You could have all the ribbons. You can have the big YouTube channel with all the views, you know, because you do the, the best snake charming on there. But if you, didn't see the snake, if you didn't see the snake coming, that charming didn't do you any good at all, right? <laughs> it just come up and got you. That's usually how they like to sneak attack you. All of a sudden, you're snake bit. Ugh. So it does no good to have all that skill if you don't see the snake coming. That's what he's talking about here. He says, surely the serpent will bite without enchantment. It's like, if you're not enchanting him, if you don't have him hypnotized, he's going to bite you. And he says, a babbler's no better. A babbler. So he's doing a comparison. Uh, we all know to fear a snake. We all know a snake charmer can ch- charm one. But if he's not charming it, you know, that snake's going to bite him. You know, if he turns, if he gets distracted and starts, you know, fiddling with his phone, snake might win, you know, and come back and get him. And so... He says, here, you got to watch out for a babbler. A babbler here is a talker. Uh, you ever get sneak attacked by a talker? All of a sudden you're trapped and all your friends walk away and you're left there with a the preacher. <laughs> I don't know, you're trapped and you escape. I was at Walmart the other day for lunch and uh, sometimes I run in there and grab a few things just to get some exercise and grab some buddy meat and eat it on the car and way home. Yeah, it's a nice meal. And, but I'm cutting through there real fast. I only got a short time. You know, I had to do half an hour, drive over to Walmart, got to get back. And uh, a guy who likes to talk caught me. And so the first thing he's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm on my lunch. only got a half hour. Oh, yeah, let me tell you 50 stories that you don't know about and won't care about. And uh, kept on going. He's like, what are you doing here again? I'm, like, I'm on my lunch. <laughs> he's like, oh, well. I was like, And then he told me about a preacher that caught him once and talked his leg off. And I was like, that guy must be something. Because, dude, you never let me get a word in edgewise. And so I finally got away and got back on time. But, you know, a babbler can grab you. But it seems like this babbler is more than just a talker and just kind of like one of those that keeps on keeping on. It's more like he's kind of a dangerous babbler. You're going to lose more than your leg being your leg talked off. This is a schemer. Maybe the guy who's going to talk to you because he's got the pyramid scam. You know, like if you do and you get 10 friends and we'll be able to go and we'll have this all down. And they've got the whole big plan there. Or he's going to tell you about the Nigerian prince. You know, that All you have to do is give him your bank account and you can have all this money that he can't get out of his country. Or maybe the grandkids who call and they keep talking and they keep talking, trying to persuade you to get in those Walmart cards, you know, and then it's a scammer on the phone. Or the one I'm sure most of us adults have been approached by, the dangerous and uh, very, uh, 
Oh, it tries to be attractive to us, but the Wyndham and the Blue Green Vacation Resort babbler, right? They even have it down to an art as they are there trying to close you on the vacation and the retreat deal. If you just sign up for $200 a month, you will have this. And they have the music that gets faster and faster. And they bring in the harder salesmen to come over to try to sell you in a monthly payment for vacation. That, that's a babbler, man. They talk faster. They talk there. They try to get it going. And next thing you know, you're a victim and you're making a monthly payment for, I don't even want to go to that place, you know, but they, they had you trapped. And so you got to keep your guard up. You got to watch out for sneaky snake attacks, uh, for high pressure sales, for wolves in sheep clothing, you know, if it's in Christianity or if it's in religion in that way. So we're supposed to be cautious. We're supposed to have discernment in our eyes as we're looking, discernment not only in our eyes, but discernment in our ears. Are they saying something that is right and true, or should I stay away from this? If it's too good to be true, it usually is adage, you know, applies and all that. We're to be discerning, we're to be cautious, we're to be watching out. Verse 11 Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment and enchantment and the babbler is no better get you so you got to be watching you got to have your defenses up to be able to get away you know maybe you and your wife have the code word you know you got to go you know to get away from the one that has you trapped and he continues he says the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself what the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious or the words of a wise man win favor because uh, they have wise things to say, and so people like them, and they want to go to them for advice because they give good advice. Maybe they say little, and they listen a lot. But what they say, when they do say it, is good, and it is like solid, and they're like, hmm, okay, I'm going to take that into consideration. You know, what they say is usually right. It applies to what you're doing. You can see how it applies. It has some weight to it. You know, their words might not be many, and their words might be few, but what they say kind of has some real weight to it, you know, because he's weighed his words. He's thought about what he's going to say before he says it. He's taken it in, and he is cautious, and he thinks about it, and prays about it, and he finally comes back with that advice, and it's good. And like I said, he listens more than he talks. It says here, but the lips of a fool swallow up himself and gets himself caught. And what he is saying, Mary Wagner even gets caught up in himself and what he is saying. Verse 13 goes on and says, The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. So it starts out bad as foolishness and ends up in madness. It's just kind of a random rambling uh, that he has going on. There's no planning and his scheme or his plan or what is there, there's no caution. Let's just go. Let's all go. Let's do it now. There's no forethought. Say it's crazy. It's just mad. And you're like, no, this isn't going to work. No, that is wrong. No, that is stupid. Why would you think that? You know, but he's just saying it. Maybe he's just making it up as he goes. He's just winging it. You know, let's just go. We're going to do this. And we're just going to wing it. Let's just go and do that. And Solomon is cautioning you against getting in with someone like that. I think winging it and maybe a little adventurous fun Saturday might be okay. Like, what's your plan for today? Nothing. Let's just go and see where it takes us. And you find that little diner and you go in that little shop and you and your wife have a, or your family have a nice little adventure that day. That's okay. But that, that's not a plan for life. No. We're to have a goal. Uh, we're to be planning towards eternity, right? We're to be living for eternity. We're to be guarding ourselves, knowing that, as it told us in the first Philippians, you know, the, the day of Christ is coming. You know, we don't want to be caught because you know, we're living for that. A fool doesn't do that. A fool doesn't plan. A fool doesn't live life with a, anything. He's just a rambling man. You know, he's just one of those guys. He's a drifter. He's coming in and out doing all these things. He says, ah, it'll all work out in the end. I 
met people, that's their lifestyle. It'll all work out. Let's do whatever. We'll just adjust as we go. How about a little forethought? How about a little planning? How about a little bit thinking in advance? Um, I'm fine. I'll be okay. I've met a lot of person. That's their spiritual plan. It'll all work out. I'm fine. It'll be okay. I'm better than most. That's not very safe. Life is short. Life is special. Life is to be cherished. We're supposed to have a plan for our life. We're just going to let it be willy-nilly? Well, let's see where it goes. Or you want to live with a goal. You want to live with a purpose. You should have a goal to press towards. You know, Paul talks about that. I press towards the mark. Do you have a mark? It should be pleasing the Lord. You know, it should be about salvation, honoring Him with what we do, honoring Him with our life. Does this glorify God? That's the chief purpose of man, you know. Why is man on this earth to, to glorify God? Are we living a life to do that? Are we pressing towards that mark? Do we have a goal with who we are and what we are doing? No plan in raising your kids. You're in for trouble if that's your plan. Well, we'll swing it. We'll see how they turn out. You know, to this day and age, you see people, news articles that are like, we'll even let them pick if they're a boy or a girl. We even let them pick their own name. We'll let them pick whatever. It's like, that's a poor life. It's poor parenting. That's poor everything. It's almost, that's abuse in that way. It's like, no, we're to train up a child. The Bible tells us, and then the Bible flies in the face of what the world does all the time. There it does there, very obviously. And so, no, you better make a plan. You have a child to raise and to rear. Who are they going to be? What are they going to be like? What do you want for them? You want salvation for them? Then raise them with that goal, with that plan. There's no way to run a business without a plan. No, we should have a plan. You should have a goal. You should have thoughts in that way. You shouldn't run a business that way. You shouldn't run a family that way. You shouldn't run your life that way with just chaoticness. It's madness, is what he says. The beginning, verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. Verse 14. A fool is also full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell? He's like, usually because his words are there to be a distraction. Or his words are there to be a diversion. If it's a salesman, he's trying to give you a lot of words so you don't have time to think real deep and hard and do the math on how much am I going to end up paying for that car. You know, he's going to keep you going so you can just sign, just sign and get by with it. They learn it from their father. Satan likes to keep us busy. If he can fill our time with busyness, no time to reflect, then chances are he can keep his hold on you and you never have those deep thoughts that pull you away. Uh, camp, one of the advantages of camp to go down there for a week is to give the kids a slow pace. To pull them out of the distraction of everything going on in the world. Out of the peer pressure, no phones. Out of the contact, no phone. <laughs> out of all the, the lights and whistles and bells and all that stuff, they're not allowed to have them. They're to be there and be a kid uh, for a few days and to think. There's no distraction, nothing pulling them away. They have quiet time with the Bible. You sit and you think. You have time in a service where you think. You have workshops where you sit and you think and you hear about God's Word in that way. And so fewer distractions. Is it any wonder why Satan wants to take summer break from kids and make it shorter and shorter? I don't think it's on accident. Let's get them busy. Let's get them back in. Let's get them back under my teaching. Let's get them back under what I want to tell them. Hmm. I remember my summers. Back when summer was long. <laughs> it seemed long. It was almost like you had to reintroduce yourself to the kids when you got back to school, right? Who are you? You changed a lot this summer. I didn't see him. I didn't see him on Facebook. I didn't see him on Instagram. I didn't see him. I didn't see him. And so we got there. Maybe if we played baseball, you know, I might have saw him. You know, but back then, 
television was four or five channels, only on for 12 hours a day. Yes, the dark ages. Uh, but it was there. there was no computer to pull my distraction away. There was no cell phone. You know what we did? We walked a lot. Walked on the property. We'd walk on the road. We rode our bikes. I can't picture Elaine's childhood and not picture a bike. I think she said, what, you had a bike with you from sunup to sundown? I mean, she didn't bike, you know, rode around, looked around, you know, different times, and did a lot of thinking. Walked around, thought about a lot of things, looked at a lot of things, talked with my brothers about things, you know. Just walking a lot. A lot of times we'd go out by ourselves. Like, I'd be in the woods, I'd see my brother in the woods. Hey, wait a minute. Walking around. You know, walking around looking and just taking things in, you know, enjoying creation in that way. I think it's God's plan. Think about some things. Let him talk to you. Let him make a connection with you. Let him have a draw to him. And if Satan can say, let me keep you busy with all that I got. It's shiny. It's flashy. It's got a lot of noises with it. Let's keep you going this way. I think that's his plan. Who knows where a fool plans ends? He doesn't. Let me tell you, though, who does know? God knows the end from the beginning. It's one of the things. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Because I can tell you the end from the beginning, and I can tell you how things are going to end, and he does in his word. God's plan works. God's plan is the only way. Jesus died to take our place, to take your place. He substitutes himself for us. There's something to walk through the woods and think about. Jesus Christ paying for your sins takes our punishment. You ever had someone take your punishment for you? Part of that, you feel bad. Man, they had to suffer for that, and I got by with it. You know, they had to, my brother got paddled, or they had to run laps, or whatever it was. Like, a little bit of guilt in there in that. A little bit of, uh, man. And if they did it willingly, knowing, no, I'll take this for you. A little bit of appreciation. We should appreciate the Savior saying, I will take that for you. Took our punishment willingly, gladly, for a joy he set him face, his face towards the cross. That he paid our fine. If we but repent and trust in him. That's what salvation, that's God's plan of salvation. God says, if you repent of your sins and you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, I will give you salvation. You will live with me forever and eternity. I have a plan. I have the way. Here is your destination. Heaven with me is a place of rest, a place of reward, a place of comfort, a place of peace. Everything that we are longing for, a place where things are just, where things are righteous, where things are, families are together and you live forever in eternity, the things that Solomon is saying is wrong with this world are satisfied and met in Jesus Christ. These are words of life. We sing that, right? Oh, sing them over again to me. The wonderful words of life. You know, those are the songs we sing about. Words of wisdom. Things to consider on how to live your life, how to plan your life, how to go down and, and, and pursue your life. Things to be considered and to think about. And God often speaks in that still, small voice. So what's Satan do? Let's drown that out. Let's keep it loud. Let's keep it busy. Let's keep it going. I was talking to one guy one time. I said, have you ever thought these thoughts, talking about eternity, talking about uh, standing before the Lord? I go, have you ever had those thoughts? you ever thought about dying? Where are you going to go? What's going to go on? He says, yes, I turn on the radio, or I turn on the TV, and I turn it up loud. Distractions to pull them away. There's a still, small voice, not a babbler. Usually the still, small voice is very few words. You ever notice that? Christ can say so much in very few words. Talk about wisdom. Talk about wise. Talk about words that have weight. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto me, or no man cometh unto the Father but by me. One way, through him. Very simple. Words that we can understand. Bible's written at a fifth grade level, I think they say most of it, fifth or eighth grade. And there, so it's not like super collegiate, you know, oh, I have to understand all these words. It's written where you can understand it, where you can pull it in. Simple, weighty words. Verse 14, he says, A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell? They don't know. Verse 15, The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. He says the fool doesn't even know how to get to the city. He doesn't even know how to get home. He doesn't even know where he's going. He doesn't even know if he's on the path. He's got all these labors, all these things to do, and he can't even even get you to the the town. You're going to listen to that guy for directions? The guy who doesn't even know how to get to the city himself? I think it's very practical for today. How many people trust science? Uh, I watch a lot of those things. I know Tim does too. A lot of the things about science and what they're boasting in, what they're they're proclaiming, all that stuff. And they trust science. And then all the the debates and the columns that follow underneath it, it's always about how their pride in science and what science does and how it's discovering. They'll fight for science. They'll mock for science. They'll do everything... Everything, make fun of Christianity for science. You know, they'll, they even have stickers on their car that mock Christianity you know, and, and, and insult it in, in all kinds of ways. And yet, the picture of how they think the world works today can and will most probably change. The things that they say, this is how things work exactly, 10 years from now will be different. You know, no school uses the 1700 science textbook of the day, Right? it's not accurate. It's not right. They use the 1800 book. No, because that's not right. They use the 1900 book. No, because that's not right. They use the 2010 version. Uh-uh, because that's not right. It's 2018, and so they have new books all the time because everything is always changing. It's always outdated. It is always growing. Those tests were proven wrong. That theory was proven wrong. That that guy forged the evidence here to get his paper and to get the, get the tenure, and this guy did this, that, and then they find all these things, and it's always changing. That's one of the things they boast in. We never really know, but you're going to attack all of us for knowing. You know, they, they, they boast in, we don't know, and it's always changing. It's like you are fighting for a lie. You're fighting for not knowing anything. They boast in it. They acknowledge that they don't know. They're fools. God says, I know how to get you to heaven. There's one way. It's through my son, Jesus Christ. It's not through works. It's not through deeds. It's not through labors, as it says here. The labor of fools wearieth every one of them. They all have plenty of things to do that might count for nothing. It's repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus Christ to save you. I hope you have. And we're to be able to discern. He, Solomon here is discer- telling us to discern, to be cautious. If I was going to put a bracket around these few verses and put it out there, it would be be cautious, be discerning. Think and weigh this out. Where will that lifestyle take me? Just reminded us of someone that says they're in a lifestyle, and my wife and I are talking about it, and she's like, You ought to take them to the place where they're all dying, where that lifestyle ends up, where it eats you from the inside out and it kills you. That's not on the brochures that they put on all the fun stuff. 
You need to consider the end. They don't think about that. Where does science take you? To nothing? To your paper could be disproven and all that could be wrong? Or we can go with the one who knows the end from the beginning. We can know the, go with the one who has the words of wisdom, the words of life, the ones who tell us how it's supposed to be, the one who knows because he's all-knowing, the one who can tell you how to get home. That's the one we should trust. And he tells us. And he even gives us that little glimpse, right? He gives us the revelation at the end, the end of the book. Here's what you're yearning for. Here's what you're longing for. There were no tears. No more death. No dying. Things would be right. A pretty crystal river that flows out with fruit from all these different fruits that you get, trees that you can eat. And I remember the first time hearing that. I think I was in fifth grade in a Sunday school class. I thought, I'd like to swim in that. <laughs> I remember asking the teacher, think I could breathe underwater? He's like, I don't know, maybe you can just hold it really good. I'm like, I'll take either one. I don't know, just be able to swim and, and be there in God's place and imagining what that would be like. And as a matter of fact, I have an appointment with that fifth grade class. I don't remember the teacher. I don't think I remember anybody else in that class. But he says, let's have a class reunion on the banks of that creek. I fully expect to keep that appointment. One day I'll be walking along, I'm like, you're the dude. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm going to see if I can breathe underwater. You might hear about the news of heaven. Boy, he choked. Under. <laughs> but, uh, but here, he knows how to get us home. He's given us the book on how to get home. He gives us the, the end at the way, and he tells us the way. The way is through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Everybody, men may be saved except through Jesus Christ. I hope you have. And if you have, I hope you take this caution that he's given us to live a cautionary life be examining, to be testing, to be proving, to not just be taking in everything. Let's have a plan. Let's have a goal. Let's have a purpose. Let's not be winging it as we go. But let's just live by his dictates and by his plans and by his course that he set for us. Follow in his footsteps, the Bible tells us.